date night. It is date night. It's standalone date night. Yeah. <laughs> in its own podcast for I'm, once. I'm kind of thinking that we've done a full podcast and now we're in the date night again because that's what we used to do. Yeah. But that is not the truth. No. We no. have come to do date night as a separate thing. And it's my turn. It is your turn. I didn't know that. I'm just saying yes, yes, Mark. Yes, because you made me watch Robin Hood last week. Yes, that's true. This is a better film than Robin Hood that we're watching tonight. Some might say. <laughs> well, we'll see afterwards, yeah? Go on then. So we are going to watch... I don't know if you've... I hope you've not seen this. Go Otherwise on. we'll be starting recording again. Go on. Uh, 1963's Charade. Oh, no, I haven't. That is not what I thought you would pick. Is it a musical? No. Oh, no. okay. Do you know anything uh, about this film? Clearly not. By the fact not. you've asked if it's a musical, probably clearly not. Clearly not. I'm, oh, maybe I'm thinking of Carousel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not one of your weird... No, no, no. This is... No. This... You've been watching some weird ones recently. This has recognisable actors in. It's well thought of. It's... I don't think it's currently in their IMDb Top 250, but it has been in the past. Okay. And if anyone wants to watch along with this... Um, for reasons we will discuss afterwards, this is available in full for free on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. I'm confused. Okay. My eyes are darting around the room and I'm not quite sure why. Okay. I'm sort of like, why do I not know anything about this? But six, I think 60s are a real, there's like a great big, um, uh, what's the word when something's really missing? Something's really missing. Blind six, spot. That's it. <laughs> 60s are my blind spot. 70s, fine. Godfather. 80s, great. Back to the future. 50s? <laughs> No. No, anything pre-70s yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I've got nothing to add because I can't tell you who's in it or who I even think's in it. I thought it was a musical. <laughs> who knows what it's about? Okay. I, I think this ticks a lot of your boxes. So, okay. yeah, so let's go watch let's it. Let's go watch it. You see, it all began when he got off the train. Now there's a relaxed husband. Police probably think I killed him. Instant divorce, you mean? From then on, her life was one round of enjoyment. Entertainment. <coughs> Enchantment? <coughs> what are you doing in here? I'm having a nervous breakdown. But her life wasn't always that gay. There were times when she was in dire jeopardy. Hasn't it occurred to you that I'm having a tough time keeping my hands off you? Oh, you should see your face. 
matter with it? It's lovely. When we played our charade. then not a musical i wonder why i thought that i wonder whether like 60s charade you know it sounds a bit throwaway it sounds i'm waving my hands around which is really helpful for a podcast but you know it sounds a bit like da, 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 da. i don't know what that song was but... <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> who wants a charade who wants a charade no <laughs> and the other thing that i was singing all the way through it which has a musical um, link to it, is there's a song that Maxwell Caulfield sings in Grease 2, which is also called Charade. It's terrible. And it's when he's I think saying... describing a song from Grease 2 as terrible is somewhat <laughs> redundant. But it is. It's a bit like, do you remember the other day um, when we were watching Robin Hood and you really hated what you called the Katie Melua song? Yes. In the middle that was all about love. And it was all a bit soft focus. It's the same in Grease 2. Anyway, back to Charade. <laughs> back to Charade. That's amazing that I didn't know anything about that film whatsoever. So, should we go into why you didn't know anything about that film? Yeah, and should we do spoilers first as well? So, yeah. spoilers for Charade, 1963. Three. Okay. The second this film was released, uh, on its first ever showing, it immediately went into the public domain. Because during the title credits where they have the little um, disclaimer and the M-C-X-X-I-I-I as it would be. Like the year? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, there isn't. There is neither a copyright symbol or the word copyright, which under US law at the time meant it. the copyright was completely invalid. Wow. So Universal Pictures, who, are, who own this, in, in America at least, you can just go out and release a DVD of this. That is amazing. So, yeah, so it's not so promoted. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, it, that's why it's on YouTube so many times, of various different quality. So many different versions of it. Yeah. And they're not getting taken down yeah. because... Because no one owns yeah. a copyright of it. Yeah. Um, How interesting. Yeah, so I don't think it's really promoted. Um, I don't think it's necessarily, like, it's... I mean, it has been on TV. I've seen it on TV, but... Yeah, just it's one of them films that no one talks about. Considering the cast and considering the, uh, the, the like the director behind it, yeah. Um, so how do you know about it then? So I know about it because when I first started getting into films, it was, um, I was getting a lot of my film recommendations from podcasts, um, lost podcasts at the time, as it were. So and two different ones both recommended this as like being a really good film. Because of the twists and turns, the same as well, Lost. I think it's just not necessarily. There wasn't even tying it to Lost. Um, I think it was more just the when Lost was off, they used to go through like the favorite films and stuff like that. To like uh, one was called Make Your Own Kind of Music with Scott and Steve, and one was called The Dalmalars. And they during the off seasons, they both went into like doing their favorite films, and this came up on both of them. So I'm like, I've never heard of that. I'll check it out. I rented a DVD that was awful quality because it just was one of the dodgy ones that was released. I must have rented it again because I, I think it was so bad that I didn't watch it and returned it. And I might have, I might have found it online or somewhere like that. Uh, cause it was just at the t- no, we'd have had a broadband by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah, uh, and then I've I've seen it so many times. I I love this. Um, it's right up your street. Yes. So what did you think of it? So for the first sort of, I, don't, I can't really remember the timing. Um, I was surprised when I needed to go to the loo. You said there was twenty minutes left because I felt there was like surely there was only five minutes left of the film, mm. and I couldn't really keep an eye on. I had um, a can of diet coke in front of the clock, so I couldn't quite see what time <laughs> we were on. But I think maybe up up until sort of halfway, or maybe just before that, mm. I was getting a bit sort of. It was a bit too rom com for me. Yeah. And that first section where Audrey Hepburn meets this guy, and mm. I'm just going to call him the guy because obviously he changes yeah. personalities all the way through. We should Me- mention to people who haven't seen this, this stars Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. Yeah, so Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant are having a lovely time being flirtatious. Mm. And that was fine, but the reason I say I could see why you like this is it really reminded me of the satires that we now have Mm. of these sorts of spy dramas of these types of thrillers romances from from this era the cadence the way everyone speaks it's i'm gonna say a line because you're gonna say a line back to me yes you know it's that and no one speaks in the way that anyone actually would everyone's being very witty and normally i love that sort of no coward like i really love I've been to the theatre lots to see a lot of Noel Coward. Yeah. I like a lot of Oscar Wilde. I like the, the the snappiness of dialogue. But when you when you have seen that taken off so many times and then mm. you go back to the original films, sometimes I think I'm so far into the modern day when things happen on the original it just seems a bit cheesy to me. It It doesn't quite work. Whereas if I'd seen this film before I'd seen every single film that's then taken mm. the mickey out of it, satirised it, I probably wouldn't be so like, oh, right, I've seen this before. Does that uh, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think this film is part whodunit, I think it's part spy thriller, and it's part screwball comedy. And I don't think the screwball comedy necessarily holds up. Um, Cary Grant is very charismatic, but and I'm sure in 1963, him taking a shower with his suit on <laughs> would have been hilarious. But to me, uh, uh, coincidentally, uh, having seen this with uh, the direct, like a commentary, and it would have been director's commentary, um, he did that because there was a need for him to have a shower. But he was so old at this point that he didn't want. He felt he was out of shape and didn't want Fair to be seen with his top off. Uh, we're all been there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, those sort of bits just didn't quite work for me, but it's not necessarily the film's fault. That's just not something that I particularly take to. Mm. But when we got into the thriller element, when we got into the spy, when we got into those twists and turns, yeah. that's when it really got me. That's when I thought, wow, you know, all of my sort of <laughs> inclinations to look at my phone just went out of the window, mm. and I thought, this is brilliant. I hadn't got a clue what was happening it it kept me thinking the whole way through i think from the moment carrie grant goes through the window and you find out that he is at least in some part in leagues with the three bad guys uh played by james coburn wearing an amazing corduroy suit <laughs> uh george kennedy making yeah, his second appearance of date night what's he what's he in <laughs> he's he's the he's the partner in the naked gun 
Of course he is. And maybe that's where I'm thinking about because I was thinking about Top Secret. I was thinking about Naked Gun and Airplane because they they use that type of speech. They're oh, all, yeah. You know, that's one-liners all the time, yeah. which it was quite quite a way through there. And then uh, Ned Glass, who you might know, he plays Doc in West Side Story. Oh, yes, I do know him. Then. Which was oh, released yeah. two years before this. So, yes, I yeah. do. Oh, that's what, yeah. Uh, brilliant, all three of them. Mm. Three very different bad guys. Mm. But yeah, I think the second half of this it is just plot twist after plot twist after plot twist after plot twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if you can get through the first maybe half hour of this, just go, for, uh, oh, just yeah. go with it. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah. I agree. I love the fact... I had to think all the time. And I think at one point you said to me, do you know what's happening? And mm. I could have given a guess, yeah. but it was wrong every time. Yeah, I was absolutely convinced that Audrey Hepburn knew what was happening, that she was in cahoots with her husband who mm. had then died. Yeah, And she, she knew where the money was and she was taking Cary Grant for a ride. I was slightly disappointed that that wasn't the case. I know we're jumping right forward to the end, yeah. but... I, w- I was disappointed that when, you know, the, the game is up, we mm. know where the money is, the money's in the stamps that the husband has bought. So these these very, very rare stamps. Yes. And everyone's been saying, where's the money, where's the money? And it's been there all the, all the time in, in the hand. Mm. That she hadn't worked that out ages ago. And she, well, I, I, I wanted her to get one up on all mm. the men. So I think the thing is, if you find out at the end she's been in on it all along, that then doesn't make sense of some of her actions earlier on in the film. Okay. Um, and one thing about this film is, if you go back and watch it, it all makes sense. Okay. Uh, when you walk in to meet uh, Walter Matthau's character and he his his secretary is on lunch at the time, he could have just walked into that okay. room. Everything ties up together, and it it almost gets better with a second viewing. Yeah, I can imagine like that. Like Tenet, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really yeah. can imagine that. I mean, un- unlike Tenet, um, I, I could at least follow where each of the twists were yeah. were going. Mm. Um, should we talk about sort of the plot plot generally? So just in case anyone hasn't watched it and isn't going to watch it, yeah. just to, to, to sort of give context to what we're saying. Mm. So Audrey Hepburn is in the process of divorcing her husband, Charlie. And... They live in Paris. They live in Paris. Beautiful Paris. Um, and... Whilst on holiday, ski holiday, she meets Cary Grant, the person. Person. She, yeah. Mm. Um, who, they have a little flirt. Um, she goes home to find that her flat, beautiful Paris flat, yeah, yeah, has yeah. been completely stripped bare. Um, she goes through all her cupboards, checking that her Givenchy her clothes are still there. And we'll they come are not. back to that. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> um, she then gets a phone call from... From Cary Grant? Uh, yeah, no, sorry. Cary Grant comes to her flat. Yes. Having oh. read about... Cause... Yes, we've yes. missed out a bit. Yeah, missed out. Her, her husband's dead. Yeah, husband's <laughs> so dead. Charles is dead. Mm. We been find thrown out... off a train. Yeah, he's been thrown off a train. French policeman mm. sort of says, look, he's got all these passports. He's got all this stuff in a bag. Yeah. Um, but he, he's now dead. Mm. And it... it... comes out, I can't even remember how, but it comes out that um, he was part of a team of people during the war that was meant to um, be delivering some gold to... To the French resistance. To the French resistance, but actually they stole it, but Mm. nobody really knows where it is. So you've got the bad guys that were involved in that plot 
and her husband was one of them and he's now deceased and they think she knows where the money is yeah what do you make of the chemistry between Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn I thought it was really good but I was a little bit put off by the fact that they kept talking about how much older he was than her see as an as a young person now yeah kind of <laughs> no we're not you, do you know what I mean like looking back like I've always thought of Audrey Hepburn not necessarily as a young person mm. I've always thought of her as an older lady mainly because my main, <laughs> my main knowledge of Audrey Hepburn is bit of my fair lady which fair enough you know back in I think 64 yes yeah, a year lady. after this interestingly Cary Grant makes a reference to the street where you live during this. Does, and I was thinking, oh, it must, they must be having tongue-in-cheek with that. But maybe she they... She probably had just been cast at this mm. point. It, it would certainly be close, if not, but yeah. But I know her mainly from Robin and Marion. Oh, my God. Which is, I think that might be 70-something, late 70s. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's mainly how I know her dressed in, like, a veil, because she becomes a nun, as Maid Marion. I always love an excuse to talk about Robin Hood. <laughs> but, yeah, that's mainly how I, I know her as an older woman. Mm. So, when he's talking about her being so much younger, he calls her a girl. Yeah. That didn't quite work for me, but then I was thinking, well, is is that right? Is... Right. So, this is, this is part of the thing that people talk about with this film. Um, so, Cary Grant, during this film, turned 59. Okay. And Audrey Hepburn is 33. Okay. So it is the equivalent of, I've looked this up in preparation, mm. it's the equivalent of George Clooney, who yes. is 59 now, dating Blake Lively. Right, okay. Which isn't necessarily, it, there is a big age difference there, yeah, but George but... Clooney is George Clooney, it's <laughs> Cary Grant, you know. Um, and you know what? In today's films, yeah. we see this all the time. Yeah. It's not necessarily a good look, mm. but we do see this. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two things about this. Uh, one, this is this is 10 years after Roman Holiday, which is obviously the big okay. breakthrough for Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. And people have been trying to get Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn in a film together ever since then. Um, if you I did the maths backwards... Mm. Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon are You've really 49. Been thinking about this. Yeah, 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 because I knew this had come up. Okay, so they're 49. now. That is the equivalent of them being cast in a film opposite Zendaya, which oh, is a lot more creepy. That is, yeah, that doesn't quite work as uh, well. And Cary Grant definitely was reluctant to do a film with her for that reason. But okay. with them both aging 10 years, he was still uncomfortable and he actually had it written into the script that she was pursuing him rather than the other way around. Fair enough, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why the reason that it took them 10 years from them to start a film And they do acknowledge together. it. So yeah. I prefer that it is acknowledged yes. and he's a little bit like, you know, mm. he does, he, at no point in time do you feel that he's creepy. No. At any point, I mean, he really is resisting mm. and he's not even going, oh, I'm resisting, I'm resisting. He's yeah. like going, cut it out, yeah. cut it out. You're too young for me, so, mm. sort of thing. Um but yeah, I I didn't find it. A, that's why I thought it was so weird that we're talking about it. I didn't find it particularly creepy mm. at all. But maybe that's because it is from uh, from her perspective. Yeah, and he's Cary Grant, so yeah. who's going to resist him? He do, I mean, he does look a lot older in this. I have to say, like I don't know. I'm not very good at the golden age of Hollywood at all. I know yeah. very very little about it. It's not particularly of interest to me. I know some people mm. absolutely love that era, but I much prefer my eighties, my nineties. So. But even but even having said that, I know that Cary Grant's meant to look a little bit sharper than this. Yes, and he does look um, like he's like he's mm. seen a life. We're twenty five years on from Bringing Up Baby, which mm-hmm. is obviously the breakthrough film. Um, he did Bringing Up 
Baby, His Girl Friday, and the Philadelphia Story within two years of each other when he was sort of mid... Uh, that'd be 25 years before, so yeah. Um, probably similar to George Clooney with his career, and I guess if it's probably easier... It's easier casting someone who you don't. It's someone who you've seen going through as a heartthrob than yeah, just mm. casting an unknown sixty-year-old. It's a bit different. I thought they worked really well together. Mm. They're essentially in every scene almost, aren't yeah, they? Absolutely. Together, one or the other, yeah. uh, running around Paris. Mm. I thought the Paris setting was absolutely beautiful. I really, it really gave me a hankering to go back to Paris, and that's Paris in the sixties, which obviously we wouldn't have seen. And mm. things are very different. There's a lot of nuns roaming around Paris in and this the, film, and a market entirely devastated, uh, dedicated to stamps, yeah, which is weird. To, yeah, to devastated stamps. stamps. Yeah, devastated stamps. Yeah, and and also a little boy who it's her friend Sylvie's Jean Louis, Jean Louis, <laughs> who gets kidnapped part way through this. No one's bothered. <laughs> no one pays any attention. No, they just sort of pop him on a bureau and go, come on then, let's go look for, for some money that we've all lost. Yes. And like, it's, I mean, thankfully, it's not it's not meant to be menacing. No one's, like, they get a gun out, but they don't threaten him. And yeah. they're quite, not, even the baddies are quite nice to this little boy. But the fact that the little boy is no longer with his mother <laughs> and is in a Paris hotel room with the baddies, I was a little bit like, mm. but then later on, He's like he's with his mum in yeah. the park with Audrey Hepburn. She doesn't know where he is. Yeah, he's off at the stamp collecting market. Different times. There are hundreds of people around. Yeah, you can't see where he is. They're mistaking other children, and I'm getting like, how do you not know where your son is? This is before stay like, no to strangers and yeah. stranger danger. I mean, and... he doesn't even have a mobile to be able to ring him, or he's just wandering around the park by himself. You're just sat there with your magazine lady. <laughs> like, you know, that, it was yeah, it is very different times, isn't it? That that yes. was okay. Yeah, it's tiny. And as we all know, the um from Taken, the risk of uh, <laughs> the risk of being kidnapped in Paris is not nothing. But it, it looked beautiful. I mean, it really did look stunning. Mm. And um, the Parisian apartment was beautiful. Audrey Hepburn's wardrobe, as you've already alluded to, there's this amazing line in the credits because it's one of those films where the credits come up at the beginning, which you always love, don't you? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to love some opening credits, and it just says it's just painted in Miss Miss Hepburn's wardrobe. It was like given by Givenchy or by Givenchy. Absolutely, it yeah. Just, I mean, the fact that they've got that statement on the third sort of slide as you're going through, yeah, just shows you how what a big deal that was. Her wardrobe in this is absolutely superb. Every um, scene, there's a new outfit. There's a, some beautiful coats. Absolutely stunning styling. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a beautiful pillbox hat that she wears. Her hair is just... I mean, there's a different hairdo every time as well. And mm. I was just looking to see. There's like... One of it is like the left-hand side's over to the right and then it's tucked in at the back. And you know how I love her hair up. <laughs> um, and most of the time, you know, these days, when you're looking at clothing, it, sometimes it looks throw away unless yes. you're in maybe a period drama or something like that this is just beautifully cut fashion yeah. and it's it's just stunning it's absolutely mm. beautiful to look at but it doesn't take over the film and it fits perfectly with her character absolutely a woman of style yeah i mean it's just amazing to look at this yeah. film i think um 
one other thing in this film that's amazing to look at, I love the title sequence in this. Uh, it's produced by Morris Binder, I think it's Morris Binder, Morris Binder, who does all the early James Bond title sequences. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just the, psychedelic. It's the perfect sort of 60s animation. Yeah, yeah I love it. Um, does, when you go back and watch it now, because yeah. I can't remember much of it other than there were lots of wavy lines with colours. Yeah. Uh, which is why I'm saying it's like psychedelic. Does it show you bits of the plot? Does it? No, it's more just showing it's a mystery. It's lines go turning into mazes and things like that. It kind of okay. subliminally in your mind probably oh, sets I'm... it up rather. Than, I yeah. thought I was missing something there, but that yeah it was the lines that I was that I was remembering. Yeah, uh, yeah. He did all the he did all the James Bond title sequences. I think up to uh, License to Kill. Um, so yeah, he was. Yeah, quite prolific in that. Um, and yeah, in the middle of them did charade. So, can we give it a star rating? I think we can give it a star rating, but I was a little bit worried about it to begin with, to be honest with you. When mm. I was going through the film and I was racking up the stars in my head because that first half or there or thereabouts wasn't quite working for me. And I was thinking, oh, is this like just a standard three-star film? But I don't think it is. I think that the ending, the multiple twists... The performances and the beautiful styling and the scenery, the direction as well, some really interesting shots. Directed by Stanley Donan, who did Singing in the Rain and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Mm. And actually some of the, um, there's one scene that's really grim, the death of one of the characters. Death of Tex. Oh, I mean, that, I think that now, you would think this would be like a U rating. So, you know, a lot of the films from that time are, yeah. they're re-rated, but that I think would get sort of almost like a PG slash 12. It might even be a 12 because you can see someone who's suffocated and you can see their face and you can see the mouth open. Um, mm. I found that really quite grim. It's like, PG. It. PG, okay. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, that second half and all the other things I've talked about which are a positive shoved it up to a, to a four star for me. Oh, lovely. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a, a nice solid four star film. Right. If that's the case, then um, we'll call it a day and we'll do it another date night we'll at some point. We'll find another date night. Where you'll find something that we can relate to Robin Hood. <laughs> that probably is the case. There's always some kind of Robin Hood uh, link somewhere, isn't there? Men in tights. <laughs> oh, I've not seen that. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> right. Right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for joining us on Standalone Date Night. <laughs> See you later. See you later. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to the Honeymoon Period podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can join in the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for The Honeymoon Pod. Finally, if you like this episode and you think someone else would too, please share it. See you next time.